lawyers and a lot of intelligent people who are high achievers are conditioned not to ask for help because mm. they are the people who are always providing solutions. When you study leaders who are really effective, they're putting smarter people than them around themselves and they're doing a good job of listening, but not in the law. The truth is, is that lawyers as a population are pretty quick on the uptake, right? They can mm -hmm. figure a lot of things out and that's why they are successful. The problem is, is that you can figure anything out. You just can't figure everything out <laughs> because <laughs> there's not enough time. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Answering Legal's Everything Except the Law podcast. As always, I am your host, Nick Worker. If this is your first time tuning in, this is the podcast where we share expert advice on all the parts of running a law firm that attorneys weren't exactly trained for back in law school. Now, if you're a dedicated fan of this podcast, you'll be hearing uh, from some familiar faces and voices in this episode. That's because we are welcoming back three of our favorite former guests of the program. See, I told you guys, top three. Uh, <laughs> nice. I have with me today, Lockwills, Annette Chody, Summit Successes International's Doug Brown and Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, as well as like a million other organizations, Correct. Jared Correa. Yes, uh, thank you. Our goal for this episode is to survey some of the top minds in the legal profession and see if we can learn anything new about legal marketing, law office management, and legal tech. I am fairly confident that we will, unless something happens to either of you. Um, so let's get right to it. Welcome, guys. I appreciate you being here. I know I'm feeling funky today. I'm I'm just I'm, I'm let's hope out. let's hope tragedy doesn't befall anyone during the show. Hey, I had I had a guy on the show once, and he was like, "There was an earthquake outside," and I I'm really I was like, "Oh my god!" And I'm nervous. Um, yeah, no earthquakes, please. So, for those who might not be familiar with your work, can you briefly introduce yourselves to our audience? And I'm going in order from how I can view you. So, Annette, start us off. Okay, uh, so I'm an attorney of 23 years, proud member of the Missouri Bar, and uh, I pivoted my career several years ago into digital marketing and then founded Lockwell, a digital marketing agency uh, for law firms. Am I calling on people? Let's go. Jared. Doug? Me? All right. All right. Bye, Jared. Hey, everybody. Um, very excited here to be here with Nick Worker, the hardest working man in legal show business. Annette, I'm a big fan of Missouri as well. Um, as Nick mentioned, I have a consulting firm called Red Cave Law Firm Consulting. I work on business management with law firms. I do that with law firms directly and also through a bunch of partnerships I have with bar associations. I also have a software company called Gideon Software, which does chatbots, document assembly, and e-signature for law firms. Um, hi, everybody. Doug Brown. Um, I did the math, Annette. I've been a lawyer for 32 years, which makes me feel very old These right, right about now. Um, I've been in recovery for the last 15, I think. Uh, my, I'm with uh, Summit Success International, a personal professional development firm. My business is helping uh, leaders of law firms um, become more effective, manage people more effectively so they can make more money. Uh, have the life that they want, and then have a succession plan so they can uh, have it all, everything they built continue uh, way after uh, them. I was in private practice for a number of years. I was in-house counsel and uh, with a corporation and um, did a whole bunch of other things, including teaching, innovation, entrepreneurship, and leadership in an MBA program. So excited to be here with, uh, with you, Nick, and Jared and Annette. Good to see you. Looking forward to a fun conversation. 
I, I never get tired of you saying that you're a lawyer in recovery, Doug. Never. <laughs> um, so I want to start off by asking all three of you, and you can jump in whenever you want because there are no rules. Oh, uh, what's one trend? That. No rules. That's my problem. Rule. <laughs> it's like Fight Club. Uh, what's one trend in the legal world that you're finding really interesting right now? Should we arm wrestle for it, everybody? I can't, I'll start. I'll start. I spoke first. Um, <clears throat> I'm getting so many questions about chat GPT. I don't know if everybody else is as well. Mm-hmm. That's like the number one thing right now. As To paraphrase Derek Zoolander, um, chat GPT is so hot right now. Um, law firms, people outside of legal, everybody's asking me about that. And I think it's a super interesting thing for legal in particular because the AI is really good. And the responses it generates are highly impressive. I don't think it's ready for prime time yet, but there's a lot of potential for that tool. Yeah, I'm I'm seeing it and using it in my practice, and it is it, it cuts down writing time by at least fifty or sixty percent, if not more. And it does amazing things, and it's super inexpensive. Um, it's you still need to check sites and you still need to do the work, but it, boy, it gets you started. And for me, the thing that I'm seeing is um, with all the technology tools coming out and the expectations for getting stuff done more efficiently are, are really going up. And I think we're at an inflection point and that's just me. Bill Gates is like, we're at an inflection point, like of the eight track tape to the cassette, to the, to the DVD and streaming services that if those who don't figure out how to use this technology to get efficient and effective, um, they're the same ones that, you know, are more longing for their mimeograph machine. Yeah. So it's funny though, cause this directly impacts a lot of people are asking me, can I use it to put content on my website? And I actually just spoke about this at the ABA tech show. And the thing is, is that Google used to say, if you wrote anything with AI, it was considered spam. And they've kind of changed their tune a little bit now. What they're saying is that as long as you produce, and probably because they have their own AI coming out, right? (laughs) Um, right. So um, I think that they are saying that the best quality content is what is still gonna make it to the top of Google. What's interesting, it is not ready for prime time. Um, I typed in the other day, who owns Lockwell or who founded Lockwell? And they put all of these names. And I said, no, that's not right. Try again. And they said all of these names. And I'm like, no, that's still not right. I go, did Annette Chody start Lockwell? And they were like, no, she didn't. We don't see any mention of her on that website. <laughs> I'm the only one on the website. ChatGPT stole your business. That's important. So I actually made a LinkedIn post about it and thanked everybody that started Lockwell because apparently they all started Lockwell. Um, <laughs> So I thank them for, for that. Um, I do think that what will become sort of a new new job is to be an AI whisperer, right? Because the way that you're putting in the prompts matters. And the more specific, the more detailed, frankly, you're almost, key- I mean, I you know, I should probably trademark this, right? But you're keywording the prompts almost in the sense that because because you know they're not our robot overlords quite yet and so they're just pulling this information from 
the interweb, right? So if you keyword your query accurately, um, I think you get a more effective answer. I don't think it's ready for prime time yet. I still think that there will always be a human element involved in, in SEO, in content writing, right? Something that sounds more, I, I do feel, and maybe you guys can speak to this too. I do feel like a lot of the responses that I've seen are sort of very vanilla, pl plain, ro robot, for lack of a better word, robotic. robotic. Well, what, what I've seen, you're, you're right, Annette, as I've used it more, the more, the more you become a power user of it and you know how to tell it what persona to assume, what level of expertise to assume, what level to write to, um, it, it, it can be a very powerful tool. It's not ready to take it, copy, paste it, and submit it to court or to a client. But if you wanted to uh, take your retainer letter and say, rewrite this to an eighth grade level so my clients could understand it, it would do that. And it would probably be better and faster than you could do by, by yourself. And I think that's say, the, oh, oh, go sorry. ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say one more thing. I, I totally agree with you, especially it's no different than using templates, right? That we use, right? right. I mean, we don't recreate the same contract every single time. Well, I hope you don't. Um, the, the other thing though, that I tell a lot of my clients that are interested or, or lawyers thinking about using this is that at the end of the day, it, for my purposes, anyway, Google has to put 10, you know, I mean, there has to be a first page of Google. So if all of those people are using the same chat GPT to answer the question, the difference between wills versus trusts, right? And they're all using that same platform. What Google is going to choose, I think, what, it's gonna, what is going to stand out is something that, that is better quality, written by a human, I think. Yeah, I think it's what's interesting, Nick, is this kind of highlights, I, I see your net, Annette from a, from an SEO perspective, yeah, hundred percent. That's your expertise. I'd look at it as what are the ways that lawyers can accelerate and simplify the back office to write a more effective communication to a client, to take their raw notes and summarize it into themes that the client can digest and say, this is what I heard. That the the drudgery work that goes into being a lawyer can be accelerated dramatically so they can spend their time doing more substantive legal work with tools like ChatGPT because it's not it, it's not current information, right? It, it's limited to back in 2021. So I see a lot of utility for it in, hey, I need to write a demand letter to this client. How can I do it in a way that is that is friendly and doesn't cause them to sue me? And it'll give you some options and you can ask it to rewrite. So I think the adoption of tools like this and thinking differently about how to do things is um, is going to be you know a game changer. And this is just the most recent thing. Yeah, I think yeah. you got to be really rigorous about the prompts. I think Annette is right. Yeah. I kind of view it as like it's both an it's both like a de facto office assistant that's intelligent enough that you can have back and forth conversations with it, but it also reminds me of my kids because if I want my kids to do anything, I have to be extremely literal. And provide step-by-step -step directions, and that's ChatGPT. Because if you give it any kind of leeway at all, it's going to stay up until ten o'clock when you told it to go to bed at eight fifteen. Speaking from that's personal beautiful. experience, so that that's one of the things I would say. And the other thing I'd caution people about: we've already said this, like, don't like take whatever it outputs as gospel. It's a generative AI, 
And so it does some funky things. So, for example, if you ask it to produce a document for court and you ask it to cite to things, the way it'll operate is it'll say, okay, a site needs to be placed here. So I'm going to place a site here regardless of whether or not that actually exists. So I had a friend of mine who's an ethics counsel ask it to write a brief for court, and it just made up like four sites because the way the process is like, okay, the sites are supposed to be here. We're just going to put in some cases, and if they don't exist, I'm going to make them up. But it doesn't say to you, hey, uh, by the way, word of caution, I've made up four sites in this article. So everything coming out of that should be proofread, just the same way you would read things that are uh, produced by an admin staff at your law firm. So. Well, you know, I think that the, the thing that's dangerous for lawyers right now, I don't think we have a problem of people over-adopting. I, I think the problem is... Um, Oh, this will pass. It's a fad. I've done it this way for 20 years. I'm going to just keep doing it the same way I've always done it. And then wonder when uh, they kind of get left behind because it's not just clients that want the efficiency. The people who come to work for them want to use technology tools. They don't want to do things. You know, we'll go to this. What we're going to do is going to have you go to this Word document and you're going to find, replace the client names and no, they want to use the tools that whether it's AI or even Grammarly or other these other kind of things that lawyers are reluctant to implement. I guarantee you there's going to be an article on Above the Law in three months. It's like associate attorney was writing briefs on ChatGPT for three months and the managing partner never noticed. That's absolutely <laughs> going to happen. You know, I think one of the reasons that lawyers are reticent to, well, you know, the whole machine works slowly um, to adopt anything new. But I think the reason is because there's this overwhelm, especially for law firm owners, right? Oh my gosh, what am I supposed to be doing? I have to figure out accounting. I have to figure out, you know, getting new clients, rainmaking. Uh, am I supposed to be on TikTok? Like it's just overwhelming. And I feel like, you know, there are things that everybody thought was going to be like, this is it. Like metaverse, Next month, we're all going to be in the metaverse, right? And that never happened. And then it was Clubhouse, right? Everybody's going to be on. And I was on Clubhouse for a while. I mean, I'm going to be honest in the in the pandemic, and I made some great networking relationships through that. But that has kind of yeah died um, pretty quick. Yeah, that has kind of run its course. And so I I feel like a lot of attorneys are look. I only have so many hours in the day. I'm going to make sure that this is a thing before I start investing any time or energy or whatever into it. And mm -hmm. then all of a sudden the government says that it's shut down or illegal, like TikTok or something like that. So I think that there's just this hesitancy to, you know, put a lot of time and energy into something that, you know, has not been officially substantiated. You know what? I think you're right. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm. Um, the big shift I've seen is that, you know, 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, lawyers, we were the keeper of the knowledge. <clears throat> if you wanted to know something about the law, you needed to go see a lawyer. And then lawyers started putting things on their websites. And then LegalZoom happened. And now I don't, th I think that the, paradigm has shifted from being the keeper of the knowledge, and I will dole it out to you as I see fit, to there are tools like ChatGPT and other things that will spew out information that appears to be maybe credible, might even be credible. 
So the lawyer's job is more about in, about the relationships and interpreting the information and helping to ask the right questions as opposed to being the keeper of the knowledge behind the the lawyer wall. And I think for a lot of lawyers, that's a really big shift in just even how they think about their practice because it requires that they have developed relationships with people versus being the technicians that they've weave. They have to slowly crawl out from behind their desk. Um, the one thing I'll say briefly is um, to Annette's point, which is I think lawyers are going to start being force-fed AI a little bit, and everybody is. Um, and we're talking about chat GPT so far, which is one thing, but mm -hmm. the category of AI is much broader than that. Mm. So, for example, if you're like in Microsoft right now, they're completing your sentences and your phrases in your email. That's happening mm -hmm. automatically. And Microsoft is one of the companies that started OpenAPI. They're very interested in this stuff, as, uh, as everybody knows. Mm -hmm. So you're going to find that the tools you use on an everyday basis, productivity software, legal research software, it's going to be much more AI and machine learning incorporated into that. So you're going to be exposed to it, even if you don't want to be. So my take on that is why not try to master it? if you can, and really utilize it effectively. Because at this point in time, we're not talking about the robot takeover, although I can see that happen at some point in the future. Right now, AI is an assistive technology, and that's how you should use it. I want, I want to switch gears um, because yeah, I want to ask... Yeah, this is the AI show now, right? <laughs> Everything you know, I'm doing now is like the AI show. It's crazy. <laughs> all right, Nick, take us, take us, where do you want to take us next? There is such a crazy demand for information on AI. Like, is it working? Are my competitors using it? Do, should I be using it? And, and the answer is literally much more nuanced than that because it's subjective, whether or not you want to use it, whether or not you need to use it. I'm going to digress because I'll, I, I will continue talking about it for no reason. So I want to talk about because I think what you guys do exceptionally well is correct lawyers' mistakes, because I, I think we can all agree that lawyers left to their own devices will just almost purposefully make mistakes. Um, what's one thing that's, that's exceedingly common that you'd like growing law firms to stop doing? Hmm. I'm surprised you're all not more eager. We have, we have to pick one. <laughs> That was good. <laughs> I, well, I'll go. I think, yeah, go ahead. I, th I think that as a law firm owner, you are a business owner, right? Mm. So that is the truth. And I'm not the only one that says that. Great minds say that. It's because it's the truth. And so wherever your zone of genius is not, right? Like for me... Could I do my own accounting? I guess, but I don't want to. So I'm going to outsource that to someone who understands all of that a lot better, can do it a lot faster. My time and energy is spent, you know, working my business. So I feel like as a law firm, as a business, um, if you are growing exponentially, you need a business strategist, um, some sort of fractional CFO, you need something like that, then you need to bring someone like that in. If you do not know SEO, and frankly, most attorneys do not, just simply writing your thought leadership pieces for your website is not going to attract the Google bot. They don't understand what you're saying. So 
maybe outsource that. Whatever it is that is, whatever you don't, whatever you as an attorney feel like you do not have an expertise in as a business owner, then you should be allowing someone else with that expertise, right? Doug, Jared, whoever, to come in and help you with that so that you can more effectively, you know, practice the law. I think that one of my biggest pet peeves about lawyers is kind of related to what Annette had to say, which is this general notion that they manage their law firms by the seat of their pants. They are just winging it like you wouldn't believe every day. Like if the general public knew how lawyers run their businesses, they would be absolutely <laughs> shocked. Now, that, I mean, that might be true about a CPA. And that's big firms. That's small firms. It's crazy. It's crazy. So how do you solve that? I think the biggest, the best way to solve that is to start looking at data about your law firm. Every lawyer I ask, they're like, yeah, I'm making a lot of money. Things seem to be going well. I'm assuming that's going to continue. Well, that's a pretty big assumption to make, honestly. And I've seen law firms collapse before, too. Or they're like, you know, like uh, my staff seems to be doing pretty well. It's great. I don't even have to check up on them. Like, that's a bad idea. All of these are bad ideas. So I think when lawyers look at data, it's frightening to them because they're like, okay, big data is the thing I've heard about. Like, Google's got all this information. Facebook's got all this information. It's impossible to manage. But as a law firm, <clears throat> let's say you have 300 clients. You've got a pretty decent-sized corpus of data there that you can use. Financial data, personalized data about the clients, um, information about the cases you take on. Like, and the great thing is that the software lawyers are using now, productivity softwares like case management softwares, customer relationship management softwares, the reporting is better than it's ever been. And it's more accessible than it's ever been because there are dashboards that you can muster now. So you don't have to read a wall of text for everything. So wouldn't it be good to know at a baseline level, I don't know, that your revenue is trending up as you think it is rather than down? Wouldn't it be good to know if all your referrals are coming 80% from one place? So I've seen law firms crash and burn like that too. They've got one referral source. That referral source walks away. They're in trouble. But all this stuff is available to know. And it's like lawyers are sticking their head in the sand because they don't want to think about it. So this is kind of similar to what Annette was talking about. But I kind of take that to the level of these answers are available, but lawyers aren't accessing them. And I'm talking about lawyers that actually use the software as I'm talking about. So many lawyers adopted case management software during the pandemic, but they use it as a glorified time and billing product. Like, look at the data. And figure out what the trends are in your firm. Because if you can master the trends, then you have the ability to generate more revenue and continue to generate revenue or spend more time with your family or whatever you want to do. But like, don't just like wing it. I mean, business is about experimentation, but it should be about controlled experimentation in the sense that you have the information at your disposal to know what you probably should be doing. But most law firms don't even look at it. So that's, that's my biggest issue with lawyers and has been for like the last decade and a half. I, I'd, I'd agree with that and what Annette said. And I, I see it when, you know, clients are coming to me because they're frustrated about, you know, they can't get their people to bill enough hours. They, they're not motivated and, um, you know, and so they need, they need help with that or they have built to Annette's point, 
a firm that revolves around them as the hub of the wheel and they don't know how to escape. And now they're in their fifties and are thinking about how do they scale back without having what they built implode. And for me, it is an addition is really just dropping this mindset of, well, this is the way I was managed coming up as a lawyer, not very well, admittedly, and that therefore I am frustrated to be PG rated, <laughs> that these people need something different. And the, the fact is that they've learned how to manage badly and they're perpetuating that. And we use our law degree and our technical expertise and our IQ smarts as, as, as if it's enough, but it's not. We, we need to learn about how really to listen better, about how to communicate and manage people more effectively, how to, how to listen without thinking about what you're going to say next. And what, I, what I've seen is that lawyers who are great at persuading and arguing in a very structured environment of a case or of uh, a courtroom are really uncomfortable in the wild west of employee of managing employees because there really are no rules and they haven't you know cle's don't train you for that they don't have the background in organizational development or leadership or any of those things because those are soft skills that aren't valuable so why would they bother learning them and those who understand that if they can take concrete and there are concrete steps to build and improve their emotional intelligence to build and improve a, an engaged culture um, and where people are really doing the work, not just to build the hours, but because they believe in the work, though, though that's how they're gonna succeed. And that's what makes smaller firms who are more agile, much more effective than the larger firms who are still beholden to the 27 partners who need to get their money out and they won't let things change. So. Um, really recognizing the value of things they've always thought of as soft skills and investing and in learning how to do it is, is essential because the research shows that your EQ has a higher correlation to your success than your IQ. We will be right back after this short ad. Who doesn't want to be a successful attorney with a busy practice but still have that life? Having those lunch breaks, playing golf, going on vacation, answering legal allows you to. I really just don't have a need for a receptionist anymore. I've used answering legal services for the past two years and I wish I retained answering legal 10 years earlier. Answering Legal is an extension of my firm. It allows lawyers and paralegals to actually work without answering the phone. Anytime I leave this office, I know my business is still running. Sometimes we're in court or we're dealing with other clients. And because of Answering Legal, my partner and I are able to address any client concerns or any new clients immediately. And it's really increased our business. If you wish to enhance your client base, improve your client satisfaction, and at the same time, reduce your overhead, then hire Answering Legal. It's interesting, Doug, as you're talking, I'm thinking like one of the, one of the common themes here for me when I talk to lawyers is that lawyers and a lot of intelligent people who are high achievers are conditioned not to ask for help because mm. they are the people who are always providing solutions. 
So when you get into a situation where you run a law firm, you don't know how to do it, your default operation as a lawyer is to bash your head against the wall continuously. So <clears throat> this relates to everything, right? Like how do you mm -hmm. manage a business? How do you hire and manage people? Uh, would you utilize technology to help you? A lot of lawyers don't want to do that because they want to do it themselves. They don't lean on staff. They don't ask questions of their staff. They're not very open to being someone who is asking for questions and seeking assistance. They're usually somebody who's providing assistance to others who are seeking answers. And I think if you spin that on your head a little bit, that allows you to be more intellectually curious and th start to discover things about managing your business and managing your life that you haven't discovered before. And, and our culture, the legal culture has led us to this point because a lack of knowledge is a weakness. It can and will be used against you. Yeah, exactly. And when you study leaders who are really effective, they're putting smarter people than them around themselves and they're doing a good job of listening, but not in the law because they feel like if you don't know, saying you don't know is a weakness. Yeah, I've found that same thing to be true. The, the truth is, is that lawyers as a population are pretty quick on the uptake, right? They can mm -hmm. figure a lot of things out and that's why they are successful. The problem is, is that you can figure anything out. You just can't figure everything out <laughs> because <laughs> there's not enough time to be an expert and learn accounting and learn how to do SEO and learn how to be you know, a, a business strategist, I mean, there's, and do the law, right? There's just not enough time. And I'm certain that any lawyer out there could learn SEO. Look, it's not, you know, brain surgery, right? Like if you put enough time in it, you can learn it just like almost anything. Right. But the question is, is that the best use mm. of your time? So take, take your 24 hours that you have in a day and just say, you know, if it makes you feel better, just say, look, I could do this. I could do it. I, I can learn it. But that is just not the best use of my time. I'm going to go to someone who has spent however many years or education or experience or whatever it is that knows this area, just like I would want someone to come to me, right? If they needed intellectual property or, you know, their intellectual property rights protected or if they wanted, um, you know, whatever it is, if they want a business agreement or if they want to get divorced or, you know, they have a DUI, they want, they want people to come to them as the expert. And so I have often leveraged that to say to lawyers, just as you would want someone to come to you as an expert, it's important to understand that there are other people who they're not smarter than you. It's just that they've decided to spend their time learning and being an expert in a particular area. So, so utilize that as your strategy as a business owner. And the, the corollary, yes. And the corollary to that, which is still remarkable to me is that a business person understands an investment for a return on investment. And so many lawyers I talk to look at everything as an expense. They don't see it as a return on investment. So they're like, well, I can figure it out, therefore I should. And ironically, they're not valuing their time. So I, I was talking to an estate, an estate planning lawyer last week who called me because if he doesn't do something differently, he's gonna turn the turn the lock the door and walk away in two years. And that's how it would feel terrible to him. And then eventually he decided he, he couldn't invest in himself. It was just too expensive. Really? 
you know, walk yeah. away after 30 years because you're still thinking about expenses and you're not realizing an ROI. And, and that that's younger, one of the mindset shifts that has to happen. My experience, and maybe everyone here's is different, but I have noticed that a lot of the younger generation that is coming out of law school, there was a guy, you know, and I hear it all the time. We all hear it, right? I don't have the money for it. I don't have the budget for it. I don't have the, I mean, I talk to lawyers that have been in practice 20, 30 years and they're like, I don't have the money. I don't have the budget for a digital. I'm like, well, it's just choices, right? At the end of the day. And this lawyer just graduated last year and he called me up and he's like, I'm all in. I get it. I get SEO. Mm -hmm. I get marketing. I know that I need to double down now to be ahead of the people who aren't. And I have found that the younger generation, I'm old, so <laughs> I'm a dinosaur. So, but the, these kids today, you know, but these kids, like they get it, right? So it's not as much, it's not as much trying to, because, you know, you can't convince someone to spend, if no. they don't want to spend it, if they don't find value, if you cannot convince them and, you know, if try as we might, if we cannot convince them that whatever we are offering is valuable, right, will help them if they are, if they are just numb to that or deaf to that, then um, there's almost, there's almost no way to get through to them. But I do feel like the younger generation is more flexible and is more willing to say, Hey, I don't want to learn everything. I'm going to find somebody else in here to learn it or, you know, go to Upwork and find someone to do whatever it is, or just, they're just not as, they just don't have that sort of self, their, their self-esteem, their self-identity isn't mm. based only on self-reliance. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And like, they're also in a different time as well. So 10 years ago, 15 years ago, a law firm probably wouldn't have hired like a contractor to work for them necessarily, like internally. They'd want to hire an employee and all the expense attached to that. They wouldn't have like a shared office space. They'd have to have their own lease. So it's a totally different world as far as that's concerned. But I see that too. I always tell people, um, and I think these are great points that Doug and Annette have made. But I always tell people, you're not going to be able to budget your way to profitability. Hmm. I'm going to sound like a real tool right now, but like, and I swear I'm not independently wealthy because if I were, I wouldn't be on this podcast. No offense, Nick. I'd probably be on an <laughs> island somewhere right now that I own. Um, but <clears throat> whenever people are like, I want to get my expenses down as low as possible. I'm like, you can't think of stuff that way. It, like, I'm happy to buy something like co like cost dependent somewhat. But if I can look at something and say, okay, I'm going to purchase this thing and it's going to get me more profitability to the tune of like 2x. I'll do that in a heartbeat. Like I talk to lawyers about this a lot with like document assembly software, right? Like why wouldn't you buy document assembly software if they're like 600 bucks a month or whatever price? I mean, that, that's a lot. But if you think about it for literally three seconds, you're like, oh, I charge like 2,500 bucks for an estate plan. I can generate the 10 estate plans I do every month 10 times as fast, which means I'm going to be able to accommodate 10 times more volume. The math is super easy. Like lawyers never get to that next step of the conversation. Do you think, do you think Jared, it's they just don't believe in themselves and their ability to go ahead and implement it? I think that's part of it for sure. 
I think it's two things. I think it's what you mentioned just now. And I think it's also what you mentioned previously, which is like, they're so fixated on the bottom line expenses that they can't get it out of their head. Like they can't think of it in the sense of, okay, I'm spending this, I'm making this. If I spend this much more, I can make this much more. And that level is way higher than I'm getting. That's like three X, four X profitability. They just like, can't get to that level for whatever reason, especially smaller firms. I actually feel like lawyers have unjustifiably championed the, uh, the saying that's like, um, if you want it done right, do it yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's totally, you know, true. I feel like, and, and this is true for me, right? So I used to be in sales and I would say like, I'm selling, I'm selling you time because you don't have to answer the phone, right? That's my yeah. biggest, my biggest sales pitch is you no longer have to answer your phone. I will handle it for you in the way that you'll want it to you'll want it to be handled, but I could do that myself. Okay. But like, don't you have other stuff to do? And I, I see it. I see it in like all of your guys' individual businesses too. It's like, absolutely. You could do your own SEO. You could write five blog posts a day, but like, don't you have to go to court? You know, I feel like, and the document assembly thing to me is so funny too. Like I already assemble my own documents. What do I need an assembly document for? Right. It's to me, they've, they've said like, but I do it better. And that's just not the way that business works. You have to parlay right? Other softwares or employees into more success, right? Like why would I hire an employee and then tell him what to do? I, the, the There's a control thing going on here because it, I feel like they feel that what I've seen, they feel like if I'm in control, if I'm responsible for it, I'm in control of it. Like, well, yeah, but you're either not doing it or you're doing it badly. So I won't hire a bookkeeper because I don't trust anybody with my books. As a result, I've got no money because my accounts receivable aren't collected. <laughs> nobody's following up on it. And I haven't got my bills out on time. How's that working for you? You know, it, and understanding just because you can or you might be able to learn doesn't mean you should. Yes. I've, now, all, all truth be told, there was a time in my ute where I was downstairs in the basement trying to being frustrated that I couldn't fix the air conditioner. My wife, bless her heart, comes downstairs and says, why are you getting so frustrated? So well, I can't fix the air conditioner. Goes, Have you been trained to fix air conditioners? I'm like, no, but it shouldn't be that hard. She goes, do people go to school to, to learn how to fix air conditioners? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's just this embedded thought we have because we are so good at, and that you said we're so good at pro solving problems that we can so we should. Yeah, there's this self-reliance, right? That your identity is kind of wrapped up in the fact that you'll just bootstrap, you'll figure it out. And I have mm -hmm. had lawyers say to me, I don't know how many hundreds of times, well, I can write my own content. Are you? Are you doing <laughs> that? You? And then on top of it, are you doing it in such a way that it's keyworded correctly and it's formatted correctly? And it, you know, it's all of the things where the Google bots can understand. And then are you also taking those posts and then disseminating it among social media? And are you doing <clears throat> all of those things? Cause I know you probably, like if I taught you, you could probably do that. Um, but again, is that the best use of, of your time as an attorney? One of the worst days of my life was, so uh, I'm sure I've said this a million times, but I have a 93 Miata. I love this thing, but I forget. I think the alternator belt was like, it wasn't charging and the car wouldn't run. 
So I called up my buddy. He's like, oh, what are you doing today? I'm like, oh, I'm going to take my car to a mechanic. I don't know. I, I, I had moved to the area very recently. I was like, I got to find a mechanic. I just need the alternator belt and like another belt changed. He's like, oh, I can do that. I'll come over and we'll do it together. I got to tell you, I love my friend. And he ended up fixing the car after we bought, bought four of the wrong belts. Um, had to figure out how to like loosen the tensioner. Listen, I learned a lot that day, but I could have spent eight hours doing something else with my Saturday. And he's bleeding. His hands are bleeding. It was like October. It was cold. It was dark. A Miata is like a tiny little car that you have to hunch over because it's so low. I mean, like, sure, I can do that. I can. What did I save? I saved maybe $200, but I lost eight hours of my time. And so you so you didn't save anything if you're, unless your time's worth zero. That's exactly my point. Um, I want to, I want to get to story though, Nick, what, what, what I think you did, you did get a good story. Well, his blood That's is still story. in my car. I told, he's like, Oh, you know, I bled for that car. Cause he like cut his knuckle on something. And I was like, I'm not removing that blood. That's part of the car now. Can we Sorry. just, can we just like cut that segment out and publish that? Yeah. that'd be. <laughs> and you know, what's so funny is that guy doesn't have a Facebook or a Twitter. He's like one of those people. He's perfectly, he's like, when I die, I want you to like cremate me and then like paint me into the walls. This house is also my coffin. Wow. We've so gone, if, we've gone pretty dark here. I'm impressed. He is so crazy. <laughs> I love him so much, but he is so nuts. Well, what I just want to say quickly is like, what's funny to me about this whole conversation is that like, if you're a lawyer, when you're talking to your clients, you're pitching your services the exact same way. You're like, what are you going to do? Go to court yourself? <laughs> like, come on. It's the same thing as if you were like lawyers. Say, lawyers hate it when I say this, but it's like the same thing if you were a plumber. Like imagine like you, the plumber comes in and he's like, ah, this is, this is a big problem. I got to get the big snake out for this one. You're not going to be like, that's cool. I'll take care of it myself. You're going to be like, please, for the love of God, fix my toilet. Same thing with lawyers. And they just don't see that it's the same pattern with vendors that they can refer stuff out to. So. I have and found in my experience that um, I tried to do, I tried to do a bit of an, not to get dark again, but a bit of an autopsy wow. every year to oh my see God. what's what happening of, to this podcast. I don't know. I don't know. It's just what I call it. I look at the end of the year, you know, the clients that have left, the clients that have gained, what types of, um, you know, what areas in legal they're in, all of those things, you know, just to see if I can see patterns, right? I'm trying to do uh, the same thing, look at data. And I have found something very interesting. The lawyer, and it's not across the board, okay? So it's not 100%. But I have found that lawyers that specialize in a very, that are not generalists, that are specialists in a, in a specific, like patent lawyers or, you know, um, intellectual, pro you know, someone that just drills down, they are a specialist. And I have found that it is easier to visit with them about out because they understand they are not a jack of all trades, right? They are a specialist, which it makes it easier to tell them you need a specialist to do all of these other things, right? Yeah. Versus a generalist who's like, well, I do estate planning and I do family law and I do some personal injury. And if you have a DUI, I'll do that too, right? So they are, and that's, that's totally fine to be that, right? Like you are bootstrapping, you are trying to start your business. You'll just take whatever comes, like I get that. 
Um, there's no, sh- there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that I've found the conversations to be easier with people that understand the the importance and the effectiveness mm-hmm. of specialization. That's yeah, great. Me too. me too. I actually, I'm going to use the word parlay again because I, I like this word. Um, it's my word of the day, parlay, SAT word of the day, um, for those of you who are taking the SAT. Um, what's something that lawyers should think about doing that might not pay off immediately, but could bring some terrific long-term results? Like, wh- what are you guys seeing that is is a great investment for the future, but lawyers aren't necessarily, like, ready to write the check yet? Are you talking about buying something or just like changing processes? Um, that, it was a more abstract question, so yeah. yeah. Can I answer it abstractly? Okay. Yes, you can. And without using any death analogies, I'm going to do my best here. Okay. Um, <laughs> one thing that I tell lawyers to do all the time is to revise their pricing models. And don't just like slap that together. Just like be thoughtful about it. So two things, like lawyers never raise their prices. I, I, I talk to lawyers who are still charging like $100, $120 an hour, which is just insane to me in 2023. Like that's bonkers. And if you look statistically, like most law firm rates don't keep up with inflation. So every year your buying power goes down. So as a lawyer, even if like the problem that lawyers have with this, every time I talk to them, they're like, okay, yeah, you're right. I should raise my rates. But my rates are so low. What do I do? I have to raise them by like 150 bucks to get to market. And I'm like, why like just do that over the course of time so you bill like and i'll go through the math with them i'll like you build two thousand hours a year right you raise your rates by 25 bucks an hour you just made another fifty thousand bucks like magic it just appeared out of the sky and the other thing i'll say is that when you're looking at raising your rates or i i should say revising your rates look at different pricing models so consumers are not necessarily thrilled with hourly billing anymore because it promotes an efficiency. They know that they walk by law if there's office. They're like, Oh, that dude has a convertible. I probably paid for that. And every lawyer you see on TV is like slick money grubbing, right? That's, that's the notion that people have about attorneys. So think about flat fees. Think about evergreen retainers. Think about these alternate ways that you can bill your clients and be thoughtful about that. And don't be like, all right, I'm going to put bandaid on this, I'm going to double my rates tomorrow. Spend like a couple of quarters or a year looking at data, like I said before, figuring out what your clients want, maybe even interviewing some clients to tell people to do this too, and figure out a rate structure that works that's going to get you value and that's also going to be useful to the client as well. I, I have found personally that the law firms I work with, not even intentionally, like they're just trying to set a fair rate for their clients, they end up making more when they move to something like a flat fee versus when they do billable hours. I would uh, agree with all of that. And I'd, I'd add in that the kind of ties back to something you said, Annette. Invest in learning and applying the discipline of creating an actual strategic plan for your business. Hmm. And it's very concrete. It's not woo-woo. It's where are you now? Where do you want to go? And how do you get there? What are your strengths and weaknesses? What do you stand for? How do you engage your employees? It's all very practical. And the and it people don't engage in it because they don't have time. And then they realize they get to 50 or 60. And I see this happening with law firms. It's a big problem. If they don't have a plan 
of how they're going to transition to the next level of leadership, their star associates and partners will leave and form their own firm. They will not. The, the days of being loyal to um, the elder lawyer and then waiting for the, hoping the chips fall where they may. So we're getting all these law firms that are coming right up to the brink and then they're wondering, they're not keeping their people happy. They will form their cabals. They will go off and form their own firm. And then here's this person that's built this firm left holding the bag. And it's not necessary with some basic, you know, get somebody who knows how to do strategic planning for law firms and, in, and invest in that a little bit at a time. And it's something you have to do. You can't buy it. You can buy somebody to help you with it. But when you start thinking strategically, you'll get that long-term benefit, but you'll also learn things you can do to start making things better right now. And if you don't do that, you know, then, then you've built yourself a job. You haven't built yourself a practice or a business. I would totally agree with that, Doug. And, and also what Jared said as well, there has to be a pl No one becomes right. An Olympic athlete or an astronaut or whatever you're going to be, whatever you're going to be successful at, right? Nobody's just like, Hey, wow, I guess I'm in the Olympics. I don't know how that happened. Like there was a plan that, was very strategically created by experts and professionals that this person followed, right? So as what I really want law firm, especially smaller and medium-sized law firm owners mm. to really hear right now is that there are people like that. There are people like Jared out there that have the expertise to help you get to where you want to be, wherever that, figure out where that is first, and then help you get there so that you don't get to 50, 60 years old and you're, you don't like, you know, you've been on this boat, but you don't like where you ended up. You know, it's, it's not where you had thought the boat was sailing to. So you have to be very, and I don't, I don't, I don't really like this word, but it, cause it's overused, but it's intentional, right? And that's a little woo-woo. And I don't mean for it to be because I'm not woo-woo at all, right? Like I'm very rubber hits the road. But you have to, maybe strategic is a better word than intentional. But you have to be very strategic. Otherwise, you know, it's funny because my, my post today, ironically, on social media was about Survivor. And I said, you know, nobody got to the end of Survivor by chance, right? Now, everybody's strategy to get to the end of Survivor, to be the winner of Survivor, was different, right? Everybody had a bit of a different strategy. So as a law firm owner, you don't need to duplicate, you know, somebody else's Survivor strategy. You have to figure out where you want to be, how you want to get there, and then get people who have the expertise and the knowledge to get to, to ensure your success, whatever that looks like to you. I think one of the things that has lawyers all in a huff about this is like when they hear about stuff like this, like I can fix my firm. They're like, I have a million different issues in my firm and I don't know where to start. Cause like I, I've, I've been doing this for a while. I feel like I could fix any law firm. Right. But the question is like, when people come to me, does your car need a paint job? Or am I looking at this and being like, this is a Mazda Miata with human blood in it. We need to do an entire tear down <laughs> rebuild and fix the firm from scratch. Right. So like with, I think like the main thing for attorneys to think of is like, it's not about like finishing the marathon in the first 
15 minutes as a nap rendered it's like how do we get to the point where we just get started like pick one thing to work on and then pick the next thing to work on and pick the next thing to work on after that even if your firm is like a flaming dumpster fire it can be fixed and it probably can be fixed faster than you think you know the yes to all of the above and the irony in this whole thing is that lawyers are hey control freaks please raise your hand right everybody's a control freak but they're not controlling the one thing that really matters, their future, as Annette said, where their ship is going. So they're in control of all the stuff that doesn't matter, all the little things. Yeah. And But they're the number one thing, where this business is taking them to provide the kind of life that they want to lead, they're too busy to do that. And... They need to be in too much control to trust other people. And the paradox is that when you have, when you know where you're going and you hire and put the right experts around you, you're in more control because you've got the experts doing, coming up with the plan with you and then going to do it so that you're, you know, you're the, the conductor of the orchestra instead of trying to conduct and hop into each chair and play every instrument and make it sound good. I feel like we're crushing the analogies today. I'm very excited. We are. We are. We are. I'm really excited to go outside (laughs) and pop. For analogy crushers. (laughs) I'm going to pop the hood of this Miata. I drove it here today. This is why it's top of mind for me, is that's why I'm talking about it, because it's nice nice enough out today that I could drive it. Uh, You got the top down and everything? No, I'm not that All right, all right, all right. right. Imagine. (laughs) That'd be amazing. Uh, Plus, it's it's not like a – a convenient convertible top. It's very big yeah. and heavy and it doesn't fit in the trunk because the car, it's, like the roof itself is bigger than the car. You can't put it in. I got to like put it in my backyard <laughs> if I want to take the top off. Huge pain in my neck. Um, <laughs> but I am going to go and pop the hood and see if the blood stain from my buddy is still on like the engine bay. Can you please send me a picture if you do? Oh yeah, that's, okay. you're the, you're the first person that the picture is There needs yes, to be a link you. to that in the in the show notes. I think. And, and you know, just to to bring it home, we don't want anybody's firm to be the blood stain left yeah. over after the repair. Like, that's not what you want to be. Yeah, please do not try and work on your own car. If you are anything like me, stop trying to do stuff that you shouldn't be doing. I'm like I'm good at what I do. I'm not good at apparently purchasing alternator belts and fitting them onto your car. And neither is my friend. So if we're, I'm right you know, the, you. the thing is that the thing that I'm re- realizing with the picture behind me, we're recording this in April. It's almost it's master's week is you think golf's an individual sport <clears throat> and you talk to any golfer that's winning and they talk about their team, their nutritionist, their yeah. swing yeah. coach, their, you know, a personal trainer, you know, all they are surrounded by people that allow them to reach those heights. And they're proud of their team. They're not thinking, oh, if I let somebody know I had a coach, I'm somehow a failure. And that is, and that's what lawyers still think. If I ask for help, I'm, there's something wrong with me. So look at the, anybody who's performing in any sport at the top of their sport. And they're surrounded by a team of experts that do nothing but give them what they need. So if our viewers want to connect with you further, where can they do so? Again, I'm starting with my eye vision because it's about me. Annette, where can where can we go? Uh, you can go to my website, which is lawquill.com. 
You can find me on LinkedIn, which is my happy place. Uh, just Annette Choti, C-H-O-T-I. Um, and I'm on Instagram as, as well. Um, I have a podcast myself, Legal Marketing Lounge, and a book, Click Magnet. But if you want to get a hold of me specifically, you can just email me, Annette at Lockwell.com. Yeah. What an amazing pun. Okay. Two real places you can find me. First is uh, redcavelegal.com. That's my consulting website. And then gideonlegal.com. That's the software website. And if you dig really hard online, um, one of my clients just made AI images of me where I look like Iron Man. So um, go find that. <laughs> Got to share those. They're pretty sweet. I feel, like, I feel like if you say Jared Correa's name three times, he appears. Kind of like I do. I yeah. do. Yeah, right in the mirror behind you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, simplest way to find me is, um, online at dougbrownjd.com, or people can send me an email at doug at summit hyphen success.com and also find me on LinkedIn where I'm pretty active, but, uh, that's, that's how you reach me. Awesome guys. Uh, I'd like to thank you all so much for joining us. Annette Chody, Doug Brown, and Jared Correa for joining me on the show today. Thank you to all of our listeners. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. I don't know. I, I certainly had way too much fun, honestly. Um, <laughs> it was a blast. We'll, we'll be back with another episode of Everything Except the Law soon. Be sure to check out previous episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the Answer in Legal YouTube channel. Links to everything covered in today's conversation, including ways to contact all three of these wonderful people, will be found in the description of this episode. Um, we hope to see you next time, everyone. <laughs>